Welcome to Cowboy Jim's Stories Around the Campfire. Today, I want to tell a little bit about my family history. Our family are storytellers, I think, and we have a lot of stories from our grandfathers, grandmothers, and even great-grandfathers and mothers, and uh, it's it's a fun history. I guess we could call this one Ancestry.com, but we didn't use that. It's just stories. My mom's mother, her name was Ella McMillan, had was born in Minnesota, and when she was young, this was the first thing I remember about her is she came west to Colorado on a wagon train. I think it must have been about 1880 or so. I know that she was pretty young, but she remembered the whole time and remembered coming west on the wagon train. And she had a few stories about that, nothing spectacular, just that she remembered the big wagons, the slow-moving ox that they were using, walking alongside the trail. In fact, she told about one person trying to find out how far it was tied a rag around one of the wagon wheels and for a period of time, I suppose a few days, counted how many times the wheel made a revolution, keeping track with that rag. I don't remember how many it was. She just thought it was very, very interesting. She also remembered a story of one of her relatives who had come west earlier than that on a wagon train. They were very religious people and as they were moving with their wagon train, it came to a Sunday, and for some reason, the wagon train kept going, and Grandma's family had decided they were not going to travel on Sunday, so they waited and did not travel that day. The next day, they traveled on trying to catch up with their wagon train, and they actually got to where it was and found out that it had been attacked by... Uh, wild Indians, and actually the whole wagon train had been wiped out. And only grandmas, I believe it was her aunt or uncle, were the only ones who had survived because they weren't there. Interesting stories about families. My grandfather on my mom's side, Charles Albertson, came, he was in Colorado, and he was waiting to homestead. He had a place picked out up in the Burns Hole country, but until he was old enough to homestead, he had to work on some other things. And one winter, he was working in Breckenridge there in Colorado. This was long before it was any sort of skiing or anything like that. It was an old mining town. His job that winter was to cut firewood for everybody, and so that's what he did. It was a year, he said, that there was so much snow that finally people were getting out of their houses out of the second story. That's how deep the snow was. Or they were having to tunnel from their front door and keep doing that. That's a lot of snow. And I know that area gets a lot of snow. They said later that spring when everything began to melt, there were a bunch of stumps that were about 10 feet tall because where grandpa and the rest of the crew had been cutting wood for firewood, that's all the farther down they could get. And so they were cutting the trees off 10 or 12 feet 
at that point. And of course, then they had to cut them down later on. Later that winter, Grandpa was turning 21. And so he was going from Breckenridge into Denver uh, to file on his homestead. And he skied uh, the big old wide skis, as you can remember, uh, about that time. And again, I'm not sure of the time, around 1890, I suppose, somewhere in there. He skied from Breckenridge down to Denver, down Turkey Creek Canyon. It's quite a long ways there. I don't know, is that 60, 70 miles? And he took that time down through there. And on the way, he came across the mail carrier who was carrying the mail from Breckenridge, Fairplay, that whole area, trying to get it down to Denver. And he evidently was sick or overcome with exhaustion. So Grandpa took the mail from him and skied and went all the way into Morrison, the, the beginning there of Turkey Creek Canyon, and left it there so that the mailman, the mail carrier, could finally come and get it. Grandpa did then file on his homestead and began his whole ranch up there in the Burns Hole country up on Derby Mesa. On my dad's side, he grew up in eastern Oklahoma. Uh, that's a, really a wild area. He grew up with the Cherokees there. Dad said he used to speak Cherokee faster than the rest of the Indians there. We have quite a bit of Cherokee heritage and blood in us, and so I guess that came natural for him. It was a rough area, and some of the stories just about during that time of, you know, this was during even the Depression era. They, they were really pretty poor. They were would uh, raise the animals. Dad said at one point they were able to only have two meals a day. But one of the stories is my, my grandma painter, somebody had stolen uh, one of the hogs, and she knew who it was. It was a guy named Grant Feathers, a Cherokee guy. And so she went, and I guess grandma was a pretty small lady. I never knew her. She passed away before I was born. But she went and found Grant Feathers, and with a stick, she just uh, shook the stick at him and made him take the pig back to her house. He wasn't going to steal a pig from her. My grandpa painter was, mostly he did a lot of horse trading. Of course, he farmed some, and but one thing about him, the stories were that he was an incredible tracker. He could track anything. There's, there was a time they said his name was Tom. Old Tom Painter could track a snake up a muddy river if he had to. During World War II, there were some prisoner of war camps around the United States. There was one in western Arkansas for German prisoner of war, and they would have men who would escape or try to escape. They would come get Grandpa Painter to come and track them down, and he did. He was such a good tracker that he would be able to track them down, capture them, and take them back to the prisoner of war camp. My great-grandpa Painter had a lot of stories, and my dad knew a lot of them, my great-grandpa painter, his name was Jack, he and a friend of his were really the two first white men 
to live in the eastern Oklahoma area there, still mostly Cherokee land there. Uh, this was before the big land rush, which is farther north in Oklahoma. Grandpa Jack and his friend, whose name was Tom Horn, was not the famous Tom Horn or infamous Tom Horn of Wyoming and the cattle wars there, uh, but his name was Tom Horn, and they were inseparable friends. They spent a lot of time together. They both married girls at the, almost at the same time and, and were lifelong friends. Grandpa Jack was a freighter. He drove 18 mule teams. That's a lot of mules to handle, a lot of strength. Big wagons would go from Fort Smith, Arkansas, up to Tahlequah, and that's what he did for a living. And of course, everybody there would also farm a little bit. I've been to a house there in Oklahoma where Grandpa Jack had lived. And there they showed where there were actually bullet holes in the side of the house. What had happened was one day, one time, there was a posse after Tom Horn. Tom Horn had killed somebody in self-defense. The posse was in a hanging mood, and they chased after him, and he went to Grandpa Jack's house to get help. Grandpa Jack actually held the posse off uh, with his guns at the front door, shooting at each other until Tom Horn could make it out the back and got away. Actually, he came back maybe a week, maybe two weeks later, everybody had cooled down and they had the trial and it was self-defense and the, he was safe. One time my dad saw Grandpa Jack with his shirt off and there was a great long scar on his back, a really pretty ugly one. And he said, well, Grandpa, what happened to you there? And he turned to dad and he said, well, I tell you, he says, I, I was out uh, chopping some wood one day, and uh, this feller came up behind me and stuck an axe in my back. <laughs> well, what had happened was there was a guy who was going to try to kill him, he, and he did it with an axe. And Dad said he looked at Grandpa Jack and said, well, did you hit him? And Grandpa Jack said, yep. I got him. And what happened, even after having an axe stuck in his back, he was able to turn around and actually killed his attacker with the axe that he had. <laughs> they really played for keeps sometimes there in eastern Oklahoma. It was a rough, tough area. And that's some of my background, that's some of the stories that we have about our family. On my dad's side, as I said, we have quite a bit of Cherokee heritage and someone has taken time to follow that back. The Cherokees kept very good records for quite a long time. As you know, they were there, first of all, in Georgia, in that area. They had developed their own writing. They were, they were very, they were considered one of the civilized tribes, which they they were known for. One of our ancestors in the Cherokee line was a woman named Nancy Ward. She was a well-known woman. She was called, in fact, Beloved Woman. It was a title given that actually enabled her to have great power in council. 
In fact, it was said that the one with beloved woman title was able to lift a white swan feather, I believe it was, if someone was condemned to die and be able to save their life, even if they were tied to the stake at the time. That was the heritage, some that we had. Nancy Ward had been married, first of all, to um, Cherokee from the Deer Clan, Kingfisher. Uh, she was from the Wolf Clan. And during the Battle of Taliwa, when the Cherokees attacked the Creeks and eventually drove them out of Georgia, she followed her husband, Kingfisher, into battle and helped him laying behind a log while the fight was going on, chewing the lead bullets so that they would be more effective. Unfortunately, Kingfisher was killed in that battle. And the story is that Nancy Ward picked up his rifle and continued the fight with him and actually helped lead to a great victory. Pretty exciting stuff when you really think about it. She then married a guy, Brian Ward, from Ireland, and they lived there in North Carolina, Georgia, that area, and she was a very successful businesswoman. She was probably the first one to really raise cattle as a whole part of the crop and had much power during that time. She is one who, just close to the beginning of the Revolutionary War, heard about a plan that the British had started in trying to get some of the Cherokee to invade deep into the colonies and attack three or four different villages and just destroy them. She didn't want any part of that when she heard it because there was peace between the Cherokee and the Americans and so she let people know the plan. That plan was stopped. And she also uh, got great renown for that because she saved the lives of many, many people. In fact, one of her good friends, I think it was Sarah Bean, was one who was rescued and she had preserved her life because she did that. At the end of her life, as she was an old woman, she was not able to go to council. But again, she had so much power that she could send her staff with the vote that she wanted, and it was carried. She renounced the title Beloved Woman at the, very close to the end of her life in favor of a constitutional government, and she was uh, very much in favor of that. So that is part of our heritage. Actually, the rest of the family, it's been traced back to the Adairs were part of the family clear back in Ireland, back in something like 1535, something like that. They were there. They had been partly the Scottish-Irish trade that had happened. And the first two Adairs that are mentioned were both pastors. That whole line continued, and that is still part of the whole family heritage. Where dad grew up there in eastern Oklahoma, he had a brother, my uncle Jim, who lived there his whole life. And uncle Jim had some great stories as well. Again, that whole area is just very, very wild. One of the ones I remember was the time he was hunting there. He was by himself and hunting deer. And he had his dog with him. And it was one morning, he would, he'd climbed up on a hill and was sitting down 
waiting to see if some deer were passing. And, and you have to imagine here where he was. He was on top of a hill, uh, his back kind of up against a tree. And then there was a big gully. It was really a cliff right behind him. So there's nothing behind him. And he's waiting, in a, and it's real foggy, and he's waiting for the fog to clear. This is a place where deer would often come by, but nothing was there. So he's just sitting there with his dog, enjoying the time. If you're a hunter, you enjoy that time. And then suddenly, his dog just suddenly started growling, just looking out through there, through the fog and growling. And Uncle Jim's looking there, and at first he wondered, what, what is that? He's thinking, you know, maybe it's a bobcat out there or something, and the dog's still growling, and his, you know, his fur's all thrown forward, his hackles up, he's baring his teeth. And then he starts looking, and he's turning. The dog is turning kind of in a small circle, like he's looking at something or hearing something that's walking around in a circle around Uncle Jim, and suddenly Uncle Jim realizes the dog is still there. He's still turning a circle, growling. He turns all the way around. The problem is there's a big cliff behind, and whatever it was the dog was growling at, whatever it was, went around in a circle behind where it couldn't possibly go because of the cliff. Uncle Jim said that scared the daylights out of him. He picked up his gun and he went home that day. Eastern Oklahoma has a lot of strange stories like that. Well, that's some of my family history. Thought you might like to hear it. You probably have some good stories with your family. I hope so. It's good to know what your roots are and what people did and how they lived. This is Cowboy Jim's stories around the campfire. I'll see you next time.